0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary DW revoid work prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Forensic psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Today we have a great pair of guests. Today we have actually Tom Satterley and his wife Jen Satterley. Who is Tom Satterley? You ask. Well, first of all, he wrote a great book, I highly recommended, called "All Secure: A Special Operations Soldier's Front to, serve, to Fight to Survive on the Battlefield and the Home Front." Tom Satterley, S A T T E R L Y. So, who is it? You ask. Well, let's tell you he's a highly decorated combat veteran who was portrayed in the oscar-winning 2001 film Black Hawk down. He served in the Army 25 years, 20 in the nation's most elite and secretive special operations unit. We're not going to talk much today, folks, because we can't say anything. We'll find <laughs> out. He has led hundreds of missions, including some of our nation's most important special op campaigns. He was awarded five Bronze Stars, two of them for valor. We're going to talk about that and how he got upgraded today. He's fighting a battle against PTSD for other veterans. We're going to be talking about that as well through the All Secure Foundation. He also... Uh, the All Secure Foundation, you can find more information at allsecurefoundation.org. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. So before we get started, make sure to share and subscribe. Let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the show, the Saturdays. Welcome. Thank you. And thank you for having us on. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You know, what? and I forgot to mention earlier, so I'll just mention it now. Thank you very much for your service. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. So, Tom, I'll start off with you on... I remember the beginning of the book, you started off... <laughs> As a, as a kid running around the woods. And, and, and I thought, well, this is good. This is good. You know, and I, and I talked to a Navy SEAL and he, he said when he was dropped the first time in the jungle, you're like, what the hell is this? You know, he didn't really <laughs> didn't like that at all. <laughs> so I thought, okay, Tom got a good start. Um, but I always wonder is every, every so far, every green beret, except for one, has said that the green beret movie was their motivation to become a green beret um you which is kind of funny the other one said it was rambo so no. one for rambo <laughs> did you have any kind of motivating movie or tv show or anything at all
2: i wish sadly no i uh
3: you wanted to be a police officer i wanted
2: actually. to be a police officer i did i went the whole i'm gonna be a cop i'm gonna help because i hated bullies man i hate i i i grew yeah. up i got beat up by some bullies and it's just one of those things where i just grew up not liking those people that took advantage of other people. So I was going to be a cop. I was going to be empowered to stop that. And then my buddy, my, one of my best friends in high school joined the military one, one day and he was off the basic. I'm still working. And, and, um, you know, I'm building houses at the time. I'm, I'm, you know, going to some college in IU, and I'm blowing my parents' money, and he came back from basic training, and he was telling me all about it. We were on our way to a John Cougar concert, right? America, and uh, <laughs> they like
3: a recruiting statements <laughs> outside of the concert. I've probably got sure. a rat
2: tail going down the back of my head. He's <laughs> he's shaved completely bald from basic training, and he's telling me all about it. He's going off to Germany, and, and in that hour drive, I thought,
4: hmm,
2: yep, I'm signing up just to get out of Indiana, so I joined, and And I joined for four years for college money and to get back out and to go back to college. And yeah, when I was in Germany, I, uh, I I saw some things. I did some extra training. That was really cool. Like French commando school. I got to go to German ranger school. We did the Swiss March, which is like 40 miles a day for three or four days. And,
3: You got a little taste. I got a
2: little taste of something (laughs) other than just the motor pool, other than just the regular army, just the things that make you want to die every day, because it's so boring to wait to do your job when special operations, even the training looked fun. And uh, a friend of mine had his dad was holding him as a baby, wearing a green beret. And he was telling me, I'm going to be a green beret. And I I, I adopted that dream. I thought, I'm going to be a green beret. So I set my sights on Getting to Fort Bragg, finding out how to be a Green Beret, and everything just got in the way. You know, I tried to do it for a bonus $20,000 that the day after they told me, no, I re-enlisted. Then they wrote back, yes, and I (laughs) I already re-enlisted. That's a good one. So you saved 20 grand on that one and uh, made it through, you know, and got my Green Beret. And then last year, found out that that was a whole Stolen Valley thing. You know, my buddy's dad was never a Green Beret, and my whole dream was built off of a lie. And oh, so, uh, man. there we go. And that's what started. I didn't, I mean, I loved the, I loved John Wayne and, and the Green Berets. Um, Rambo probably came later and, uh, I just, I never thought of joining the military. I never even considered it. I made fun of my brother for joining the military two years before, you know, before <laughs> me really, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I relentlessly made fun of him for it. And, um,
3: he ended up a drill instructor, so, you know. Yeah, he ended up a drill
2: instructor. They, they wanted him to teach at West Point. And he's the nicest
3: guy, too. Honestly, I still can't picture him yelling at anybody
2: ever. So. Yeah, but I, did, I didn't have that dream. I, uh, I stumbled along the way and found where to go that was better than where I was all the time. You're a seeker. Like, I'm bored here. Somebody's like, oh, this is cool over here. Oh, I'll go do that. I go do that. I'm like, oh, somebody's like, hey, you should check this out. I'm like, well, I'll go do that. And then I'm in language school trying to learn Persian Farsi. And a couple of guys show up. I'm like, hey, we went to Q course with you. I'm like, I know I was there, man. And uh, they said, now that you're in language school, we're back at work. And I'm like, back at work already? How? Don't you go to language school? Well, they were in the unit. They went to Which the quali- Delta. They went to qualification course to change their MOS, right? Mm-hmm. What they wanted to be professionally, even though they go back to the same unit. And they said, we think you have what it takes. You should go to selection and hand me a phone number. And I was like, is it cool? That's like, yep, yeah. so like, Jason
3: Bourne. i like, I'll, I'll go the do world. that. <laughs>
2: That's right. It, yeah, it seemed like Jason Bourne <laughs> stuff. And uh, they disappeared. And so every hour in the military, you know, language school, I'm trying to learn person you Every 50 minutes, you get a 10-minute break. From that moment on, that 10-minute break, I was spent doing sit-ups, flutter kicks, and push-ups. And I was like, what are you doing? You're weird. And I'm like, I'm getting in shape, man. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm just getting in shape. And. So, you know, my goal was just to always be ready for what might be available. And then when it pops up, you know, you're in shape and ready to go take it. And so I went and went and did that selection and uh, never looked back. You know, I stayed in the military for 25 years instead of four. Wow. And uh, I did 20 in Delta. So it was one of those. Yeah, I wish I had a plan, <laughs> but I don't think it would have turned out any
1: better. 20 years in Delta is a long time. Long it, time. it really, really is a long time. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you about sear training. It's always kind of fun to hear. I know you can't share much, and I agree with with everybody in, in the Green Beret community that you really don't want to ruin the, <laughs> the feel for the for the newcomers to come in. Um, but was it what you expected? Actually, for you, it'd be an interesting question. Did you see it differently than when going through the German one and the Swiss? Not, not through the complete programs, but tasting their versions. And did you feel like it was different harder? You know, they were different. Um,
2: ours was harder. Psychologically, for sure. Physically, I mean, man, French commando school, they made you do some funny stuff. Right? I don't know how I lived through that. And, you know, without ropes. And it was back in the 80s, right? So, late 80s. Like, I just jumped from this tree to this tree. It's like, that's way too far. But you're going down, so you'll be carried. And I go, what if I fall off that little platform on that tree way over it? you grab the tree. I'm like, <laughs> "What if I don't grab the tree?" No, you grab the tree. I'm like, "All right. All the- right. Don't not grab the tree." Go to guy. the jungle. Yeah, and um <laughs> you know, it was harder. And uh what made theirs harder was German Ranger school. I spoke no German. And the interpreter they sent with me pa- failed on day 2. So <laughs> no problem. They didn't well, speak English. Great. I didn't speak German, so the instructor would stand there and give instructions to all the students and then they'd just turn and take off running. And I, I, I'm like, what what? He's like 30 minutes, hide, 10 minutes, no find. I'm like, I think I got it. And I took off and ran and tried to hide somewhere, you know, and like, don't find me. Um, that that made that tough. And that made it tough to use what I normally use under stress is, is humor and comedy, right? I'd tell jokes to get past the stress and the sleeplessness. And you'd tell a joke to a group of Germans, they're like, Boss, boss, vas. and I'm like, oh, never mind, man. I'm gonna go cry somewhere in the corner. <laughs> they just didn't get it, so I didn't get that relief. But going through the U.S. version of of, of our seer school, I got a different version, right? Because the opportunity and chances of where I would be picked up are different than like the regular Sears school that you see in the movies and lock you in a, in a box. And, and well, I got locked in a box, but you know, they don't feed you and they be, the whole thing was different for us a bit. So I got to go through both, but the one I went through was a lot different, more of a, it's
3: probably totally different now. It was like, Uh, yeah, it's probably a lot different now
2: too, but it's more like a peacetime. Here's how you (laughs) handle yourself in this situation and it sucked you know the the box the the shaming the the weird stuff they put you through that makes you realize a whole lot (laughs) and even though you know it's not real you don't know it's not real anymore and and just to give you that taste of if this ever happens at least you've been here before you won't freak out as much you've had a taste of it Mm. you know and it really it it really well I never really got to figure it out but it would help a lot (laughs) because everything else helps when you practice and rehearse and go do it So I figured if I'd ever been detained, hopefully it would have paid off a bit, you know? But yeah, ours was a bit different in that more mental and more of less of a survival in the woods kind of thing and more of a mental game of how to play mentally with your adversary as as he has you detained and tries to use you against yourself or your own country, you know?
1: That's interesting. We talked about, and we'll get more into it later when we talk about PTSD, the marriage and all this uh, stuff as well. But speaking to other Green Berets, one of the things they're worried about now is that they will change it because of the society the way it is. But you really can't. Like you said, (laughs) to prepare yourself, if you get captured, you can't water that down.
2: Scary gets only so scary, man. And, you know, you can only hit somebody in the hand with a hammer so many times before you don't feel the hammer. I mean, things will change psychologically. Things will shift because of the cultural or the political or whatever values at the time, obviously. But. And people always fear that, but I think the basics of resistance, the basics of um, inner strength and how to be resistant while remaining strong will stay the same. Now, humans will change because of what we're taught growing up and we grew up in a nicer lifestyle. We grew up in an easy living. We forget struggle and we don't have perseverance. And so we might quit and give up sooner. So, yeah, it might change to to meet the human that has changed and here are more humans that grew up living nicer like we didn't have all this war it's been hidden for 20 years we've been a war and people are like, we're still a war yeah yeah good job for keeping it over there and not here but you well, we grew last in, year in, with in the a nicer paper. world without struggle so you're going to be a different person
1: we saw it last year with the toilet paper right yeah that was unbelievable
2: <laughs> oh people freaking out I couldn't figure out why we're out of toilet paper anyway, but I mean, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I started figuring it out when people we're making money off the thing—fifty <laughs> bucks for a dozen. I was like, "What?"
2: Supply and demand, man. Supply yeah. and demand.
1: No, it's it's interesting. It's funny because when I had a couple of friends that I talked to about that and I was getting their perspective on it, I have to admit, every interview I do, I've changed because it's made me realize God, I gotta stop whining about these little things anymore, right? And I hear some of the stories. Do you do you feel? And I know you have to change when you go through the program, and I get that. But did you feel stronger, more empowered, more confident about yourself when you got out of SEER? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Whether it was justified or not. Sure. I, uh, you know, you go through shooting you're like, I got expert. I'm the best. And you go off and do it, you know, Hey, I'm trained for combat. I'm going to go on over and do combat now. And you, and you get there and you're like, Oh shit, I'm not ready for this at all. I should, you know, I needed like an armor bodysuit because when I went over there, I was making my Kevlar small, way light and fast, we got plastic helmets. You know, I sewed my own Kevlar made it really teeny with lots of pockets. So I could climb and move. As soon as those first bullets start flying, I'm like, my God, where's that large Kevlar vest? Yeah, that big helmet, you know? So things change when you get to reality. But, man, that training sure gives you the confidence to go run off and do it, doesn't
1: it? It sounds what it sounds like. I know yeah. a lot of individuals were looking for something in life or looking for it to be a different type of individual, and they came out. And I, it's interesting because I see, um, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but it seems a lot of these individuals took that outside with them and, and their life after they left the military, they still felt that same way. I mean, there's other issues that we'll, we'll talk about later that, that can happen. I guess I always ask too, um, do you remember the very first time you got into combat?
2: Oh yeah.
3: They made a movie about it. <laughs>
1: that was the very yeah, first time?
2: I, <laughs> I, I do, do remember um, <laughs> <laughs> it. Right. You know, I I've, I've been in the unit less than two years and we were training for Somalia for six months. Still training. Still excited, still ready to go, still want to go, um, need to go. I need to go test my metal. I need to go enter that tribe and become a warrior. I'm not a warrior with training. I don't believe in that. You become a better better fighter. I think a warrior comes out of a battle of warrior. and Learning lessons, bad, valuable, horrible lessons. Um, our first five hits were like what combat I thought would be. We go in and out. We're done. Enemy's like, whoa, what was that? You know, we go in and we're out. We're done. Whoa, what was that? We go in. Some shots are fired. We fire back in high volume and kill maybe one person. And it was scary. And We come back and high five, tell stories. Whoo, that was war. <laughs> Three October, man. Um, when our helicopter leveled out to throw the ropes and, and RPGs went flying by and I couldn't see the ground because of dust. And the, and the rounds were flying in the air. You can hear them. And you could hear the radio talk so-and-so fell 90 feet. We need a medevac. Oh, vehicle's blown up. I'm like, what the, I'm not even on the ground yet, man. Hit the ground. Fire was so heavy. The volume of fire. So heavy. we ran into another house, had to take it down. Nobody knew where we were. We didn't know where we were. We were outside where we were supposed to be because of all the, the sand and the firing. And I'm still cracking jokes. I'm, you know, I'm still removed from it. Get to the target. Finally. You know, we got about 12 detainees. I we're now we're in charge of them moving around. I got a sack of smallly money, probably worth a nickel. And we're getting rex fill, and RPG blows up a five ton. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And now I hear another RPG. And then I look up and I see a helicopter spinning out of control. And I'm like, oh, that's crashing. Now Tommy's growing up. Now I'm scared to death. Now I'm throwing the sack of cash. Now my jokes are gone. I'm like, what the fuck? What do we got on me? I'm sorry. And I'm I'm looking around like, wow, 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 wow. You know, I I was joking five minutes before that, like, are we going to make it back for dinner? I wonder what they're having. Um, And then people start dying, you know, and uh, they're your friends and and, then you're trapped. And I mean, 18 hours of I want to go home and I can't. American forces can't do something they want. And I'm like, this is not normal. I want to I want to not be here. We're in and out. I don't have water. I didn't bring night vision. We, we left at noon, man. Oh, and man. now it's two in the morning and we're out of everything and I can't see anything. And we are just like the enemy only. Well, are we more tenacious at the time? I don't know. We were in their home, right? We were in their town and they were pretty, pretty angry about it. So that first, that was my first, what I think combat, real combat is of, oh yeah, you do also have the opportunity to die. Not not by proxy, not by a couple of blocks over. Man, there's some bullets flying over. They're like, no, you got holes in your clothes the next day. You know, when you when you get back, you're like, whoa, people are showing each other holes in their gloves, and you know, a lot of my friends are dead. And it was um it was that moment that I decided I'll never let that happen again. So I'll train harder, right? I will train harder. And I don't care how hard you train, you <laughs> can't affect. The enemy moving around you too much you know you can't yeah. affect how many they come so illusion of it's an illusion, of, people, it's an illusion sure. of control to keep me going right for uh, 18 more years after that and into other i don't know how many other battle zones combat zones you know since then so yeah. i'll never forget my first combat i've forgotten a lot since i remember key i'm gonna die moments yeah. i remember the moment in iraq when i thought i was repeating somalia with a downed helicopter now, but I'm in charge. So those differences of Somalia, I'm not in charge of anything except my, well, you know, myself, and I'm the breacher, so I'm running around shooting and breaking things, and I don't care. To fast forward 10, 15 years later, I'm in charge of these guys running around, and I don't have to get shot to matter. Any one of these guys get hurt, it matters to me anyway, and I'm in charge and I'm responsible. It's a big Big difference for me was being in charge in combat versus just being
1: in combat. That's a great point. That would be completely different. I want, to, I want to jump on that. I just want to make a quick note. And Folks, if you listen to the podcast a lot, I apologize ahead of time, uh, because sometimes people don't listen to all the podcasts. Um, but I just want to reiterate something Tom had mentioned. We've talked to other Green Berets and homicide detectives, too. And I learned this talking to homicide detectives. I remember the homicide detective was talking about he was in a crime scene. And I I never imagined how much they've seen when you talk to them. Criminal Minds TV shows is like watching a Disney movie. It's just you're listening to this going, whoa. And um, but they joke. And that's a coping mechanism that you have to have. And for me, it always irritates me to no end when people try to comment or opinionate on on something they have no idea about. I can't relate whatsoever to what, what you experienced, what you smelled, what you heard. Um, even what you tasted like the uh, homicide detects would tell me it's incredible. And even and I don't even want to get into policies <laughs> based on <laughs> by people who don't have any experience either. It's a very different world. So I just wanted to make sure the audience understood that. So to even take away your coping me- mechanism is, is amazing to hear that when you said that, because I've never heard that one before. And it's really phenomenal that you're here today and as healthy as you are, even losing that coping mechanism in the middle of all that, which I'm sure you had another one and maybe we'll explore that. Um, but we'll go back. Uh, I got that out of my soapbox, but we'll go back to um, <laughs> the other one now. So as interesting because you were in charge and like you said, now just kind of like a father figure in a way, you got to protect Ugh. all your kids. That's a whole different ball game.
2: Yeah. It's horrible. Did I, you know, it, being in a, a leader in the unit was you know, one, one side easy. I'm leading other leaders. So that's, you know, basically instead of pushing, I'm pulling back on the reins <laughs> of these stallions and kind of steering them a little bit versus whipping the mules of like, though I would call the regular army. Go, you got to go. You have to. Versus now I've got, oh, here's, I don't know, 45 guys that are crazy. you got bridles. I'm going to come on, boys. I'm trying to get them in the right stuff and knowing that they're crazy, knowing that they do what they do without caring about themselves um, and knowing that they're professionals and will do it perfectly but knowing that anything that goes wrong will injure one of them and then and then that will cascade too many of us because we're not that many we can't defend our areas people don't understand Oh, you guys are badasses we're specific we're specific i will come to your house and wake you up at night or kill you and then take you back with me dead or alive i don't care where you live now i'm in and out I'm in and out because I'm light and we're fast before you get there. We'll be gone. When one thing goes wrong and you get there, we can't get out. Right. We can't, we're not big enough to fight our way out. We're not designed that way. So when that happens, you better be ready for it. And it it happened in Iraq again. And I remember thinking, here I am again. I just had, I had, I had to call Black Hawk down on the radio versus hearing it. And I'm, and as soon as I said, I almost started crying. I was like, Whoa. And it just hit me, and I thought, shit, I didn't bring extra water. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then, you know, your brain's going down that path of, oh, wow. I'm like, get on top of it, bring me ac one They're going to kill everything right now, you know, and just kill it. And then I'll ask. So it changes. You know, that fear of id went off in the next room, and you're like, oh, who was that? You know, who was that? And the guys come run up to you and say, oh, that was so and so, and one of your close friends. And I have to turn go, I don't give a shit. What are we doing now? I have to focus on the other people here right? I can't, I can't emotionally break down. I can't have that moment. Um, and then those moments never come. You now those guys get evacuated and then they're off getting better or they're off and they've died and you don't see them again. And you're still deployed for another 90 days. They bury them, right? You come home and it's over. There's a memorial. What, what do you do at memorials? Get drunk, you know, and then go about your day like nothing ever happened and you never mourn or grieve the loss of your close friends until you do right until you almost die until you finally have to or you're going to kill yourself or ruin your family you have to grieve and mourn the loss of your friends and um, as a leader it was my responsibility to do that and, and make sure the guys would do that and whenever that failed it was a miserable experience for me you know, when you mess up something as an as a operator, you, you just mess that one thing up. As a leader, you feel like you've messed up everything, and it affects everybody. That's pretty hard. I think everybody is pretty hard on themselves as leaders that do those things. Um, and you got to take care of yourself with that. But, yeah, it's, uh, to be responsible is much more um, heartbreaking and a lot heavier in combat than just getting to be there.
1: Let me ask you this. I'm going to take you back and then we'll go back forward, just jumping all over the timeline. But what did you do when you, when you didn't joke around, did you just put it all out and go back to your training during those 18 hours or did you do something else for yourself to be able to deal with it? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, I became an asshole. I became, okay. I mean, that's, I was the fair asshole. Everybody loved me as the fair guy, but man, i mean i was still funny but it, when it came to work <laughs> I was it, saying,
3: did you ever drop your humor i don't <laughs> it,
2: know <laughs> when it came to work it meant more to me yeah. when newer guys came in and hadn't experienced Somalia and they're doing things and you see other other troops or squadrons with their helicopters hovering over target you're like what are you doing we learned this we learned that your helicopters don't hover over the house you're in it tells everybody where you're at and then they can shoot them down and they fall on your house and then now you're stuck so we've learned to send those away and come back when needed you know it, just things that you see people repeat is is starting to repeat is heartbreaking. And to try to get those young guys, interject those, those lessons learned. I mean, Somalia changed the way that the military did urban warfare. I mean, it just, we went in and did all the wrong shit. it was like, here's what you need to do. And here's how we got out. And that this is what might work next time you get stuck in a city. Those are just not good situations. Looking at that, the wall behind you and that, you know, with all those buildings, imagine walking through down one of those bridges with 15 guys and you get shot at from somewhere, you know, where, what are you going to do about it? You know, you got to run. You, you, you can't go assault one guy from the sixth floor shooting at you. You just can't affect everything in a city. So it's about defense. And we were offensive people. We went in, you know, we were always offensive. We're going to come in we're going to wake you up and take you home or kick. That's it. I mean, that's you're ours and you're going to be ours no matter what. And then we're gone. So we had to learn a lot um, about urban warfare.
1: You know, it's interesting it's psychologically, you folks learn how to, you folks being uh, special forces, learn how to control a lot. And to, in both of those scenarios you just presented to me, like Iraq one and then Somalia, there was a loss of control, as you mentioned right now repeatedly. You just there's nothing you can do. I mean, you have to kind of come to the realization I'm under control of no control because I have no idea what's really going to happen. Do you think? That changed the way you view life after a while, because after a while, you realize I can still survive. I can still move forward, even though I don't have control because some people really just don't like it. Right. They don't like having an environment controlling (laughs) them. Um, You know what shaped my life? What shaped my life
2: from that was trying to be in control. Trying Mm. to maintain control is what almost killed me. Trying to maintain control, maintain control of children at home clean those dishes. You did not clean the dishes. You know, why do I have to say a hundred times to clean the dishes? Well, I guess because they're not highly trained commandos, they're children. I guess that's why, but my mind is like, why can't you do what I told you to do? Why can't I'm trying to control the chaos because when it becomes chaotic, that's when I break down. i um, in combat. I become better. I become more fluid, more calm, more, fluid, more, calmed, more direct but those kids don't want that direct conversation. They don't want to belt it at them about the dishes or the vacuuming or whatever it is. But that's what takes over in my mind. When there's chaos, I get direct, I get, I get aggressive because I'm just getting bigger. I'm physically getting bigger. My heart's beating. I'm like combat. Here we are chaos. Fix it now, figure it out later. And then after the turmoil of the kids and the wife freaking out about, Whoa, what was that freak out about? You're like, all right is everything okay like all right i'm good i just thought that something was bad was happening and i'm good because i'm trained to just turn it off and you know i think i am i can turn those emotions on and off like no i'm good i was just i thought i'm sorry but do you realize you came across aggressive your face was red you were huffing breathing and you were "Ah," and i'm like no (laughs) you're unaware of who you become when you go back to muscle memory and just start directing and giving those orders out so nobody dies because the cups are dirty in the sink you know
1: but they change and i'm, I'm assuming now um do you both have children together or you don't you don't we right know. not together no we, we knew better
2: i have a 22 year old son um and and still living with us she has 17 year old son and a 14 year old daughter
3: 14 going on 30 yeah
2: her and I go at it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know how to handle her at all.
1: <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a little bit too. We start uh, talking about changing gears. So I remember, you know, Two Lamb? Yeah. You mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Two Lamb, I remember he told me, I, I always loved his analogy. He says it's going like 150, 180 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, when you get out, you're dropped down to like 20 in the school zone kind of thing. And he says, it's just not easy to do. <laughs> you just can't nah. do that. I think the only, one of the few movies that I saw kind of portray it. It was only the only highlights of this movie. So don't, don't, don't get on me, but it was a uh, Hurt Locker. Yes.
3: Oh yeah. People
1: Remember are that? afraid
2: to say that. We say it all the time. That was a really good depiction. Zero of, Dark Thirty, yeah, Zero Dark 30 was, was pretty good. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hurt Locker did, man, it really, uh.
3: They hit some points yeah. like they like Tom even said he's like there's some inaccuracies like one person wouldn't have all those jobs, but he said within those jobs, he was able to portray even those more accurately. And, and Where ours. do I go?
2: Where do I go from here when I don't feel like I fit yeah. in? Yeah. I must just only fit in over there. So therefore I give up on life here. And I only feel like I excel and succeed here. And that's where guys kill themselves.
1: Usually the biggest challenge for them is right there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tough part. You're right because when I remember seeing that when he was at the grocery store and he, he I can, I was looking at him going, hey, he's checking out, he's checking out, he does not want to be here. And then with it at home, he was, he was done. That was it. You're it was, mad yeah. at
2: people. You get mad at people for living in such happiness and oblivion. Oh, really? I would get mad. Yeah. I get mad at holidays. I don't know why. I didn't until she explained it. What I was doing and and telling me about it. I would. I. Did not want to be happy.
3: You were almost envious. You told me one time, I'm almost, well, you did. You said, I'm flat out. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the innocence that you have. I'm jealous of the happiness and the purity that you have. And, you know, for Tommy's like, I don't know why I'm not, it's not a logical thing. Of course, I want my wife to be happy and joyful. But when I see you that way, there's just something inside of me that's reacting um, in a way that's angry you know angry and appreciation
2: a lack of appreciation will set a lot of us off um people that don't appreciate the things they have people that put down the things that that are just here because we're america we have a flag like all other countries well all of a sudden, you hate our flag i'm not getting political here but things like that people that are have grown up in such easy living that they got to point out things that bother them, that they have no idea what it means, right?
3: Well, it's because I think a big part of it, too, is we always talk about the bubble. And it's not to say that America doesn't have some really bad, really dark spots in it, because we do. And we have violent crime and we have awful things that happen in our country as well. However, I think when you leave this country and you go to places like Somalia or certain places,
0: most other places, you know,
3: Africa and South America and the Middle East, and you see a lack and you see such a lack of education, hope, civil rights, you know, human rights, every kind of right. And then you come back here and someone's like, oh my God, they don't have the right kind of mayonnaise on the shelf. And these guys get upset about it. And they're like, what are these vets so angry about? Well, in part it could be that in part it could be you know what they've seen a lot they've been outside the bubble and when they come back and people are flippant about things that other people would die for would kill for kill for clean water would kill for you know a safe night's sleep it becomes like you want to these guys want to pop their bubble a little bit you know let me tell you about how let me show you (laughs) what
2: suck really is you Know? know it's it's yeah, but what helps the veterans and what helps guys that suffer from that is to consider the fact that, well, you created a, a world that they could live that way. That yeah, was your absolutely. job. That was your job. Then My again, job I'm was too. to create a world that you could go burn a flag peacefully because that's what we say you can do. You can protest. So what's it mean to me? Yeah, it means one thing. What's it mean to you? A whole nother. But you still have the freedom to go burn that flag if you want, man. Do I agree with it? No. But do I agree with the fact that we're free? Sure because I don't want someone to fringe on something else that I want to do just because they don't like it. Now we're going down that road of, well, let's stop that. And let's stop that. And we'll stop that. And it's like, Oh, let's start burning books. Uh, yeah.
1: There's a lot to unpack here now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm taking notes feverishly again, folks, it's Tom Satterly and his wife, Jen Satterly. And the book is called all secure, a special operations soldiers fight to survive on the battlefield and the home front. Also check out all Um, Jen made an interesting comment about innocence. That was an interesting choice of words uh, when I heard innocence, because what it makes me think of, or soft guys and other guys, too, I don't want to take out military people who were also in combat, but for this particular podcast for soft, um, what I noticed you can't share a lot of your stories with people. And you also mentioned they can't appreciate it, which also tells me in my head it's how it's even difficult to share some of these i remember the homicide detectives told me i can't tell these stories to my wife oh. she can't she can't handle it right. and um i'm looking at yeah the public can't handle it <laughs> it's a lot less chance that your wife wants to hear these stories um and I've yet to find one. <laughs> you know, I, I see the ones who want to watch Criminal Minds, but but I, funny funny thing is, I never see those married to the homicide detectives. <laughs> it's kind of odd that way. I, I figured, why do you can go all the way? <laughs> but it doesn't seem to work that way. Um, was that something you felt too, like you wanted to share, but you knew ah, there's no way? Because I remember one actually, one individual shared. What oh, was an FBI agent? He shared a story with his seven-year-old. And he realized, shoot, what the heck did I just do? I can't talk about that because he was working on child trafficking and what he saw. And um, he realized he made a big mistake, but he just blanked out. Um, did you feel that way, too, where it's like, I want to share this, but I can't. They can't even understand me if I did share it.
2: Yeah, I did feel that way. And you know what? Jen really helped me out a lot with it was um, when you're married or when you're with someone you care about, you, you pay attention to them right? You pay attention. So you, you notice those things. So when you walk in, Hey, how's it going? Honey? Fine. And you know, they're not fine. Right. You know, they're not fine, but what do you just go on with that? You go on with that mask. I'm fine. Or do you ask a better question or do you stop and go, Hey, you know, and finally I had to stop one time. And I say, you're, you're, you're screwing on my radar. I'm asking you if you're fine. You're saying you're fine, but I know you're not fine. So if you don't want to talk about it, can you say, I don't want to talk about it. So that honesty up front, right. And guys saying, I want to share, but I'm protecting my wife. or I'm protecting my kids from the pain. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. We talk to wives all the time that feel left out. I thought it was me. I thought he didn't like me. didn't share anything. Or they're jealous. He never shares anything about that mistress, the special forces person. You know, where the kids are smarter than we give them credit for. They hear you screaming through the walls of the house when you fight. You know, they hear what's going on. Oh, by the way, they're not just stupid kids like I joke about. They're just lazy. They don't want to do any work, but they're smart. They, they read, they watch, my God, 23 hours a day of YouTube. They're, they know more than the rest of us about everything in the world, right? So you don't share the fact that there I was, spraying and guts were flying everywhere. You know, we were in combat. Some people were killed and injured and it really affected me. Now let's get to how it makes me feel because that's all you can change. You can't change the story. The story is just for people who wanna hear cool stories, right, we used to start off with stories and you, you need to tell your story like the, like the Indians did, the tribal members did, to tell their story after combat. And then, by the way, go pick up the rake now and start raking with the rest of the tribe. You're back into the community. Versus nowadays, we're more separate. Veterans come back, where's my 10%? Where's my shit? Where's my free Disney trip? You're just back in the tribe now, man. Nobody really cares about what you did in the past, right? You don't care about what those 50 other people in the street do. Why should they care about what you do? get back in the tribe and contribute, right? That's all you can do, but you share your stories.
4: Yeah, I You just
2: you don't share at all. And you can get, a, I, I didn't get help until I shared and she could share it back. She could help. I mean, she wrote a book about it. It's, it's more of a manual on how to finish Tom's book and not die. What Tom did when he didn't die, but he wanted to be dead and he tried to kill himself. And here's what I did along the way. It's like a how-to manual, a military manual for how to get it right, but you share those stories, right? How they make you feel.
3: Well, and I think one thing that's a little different is I worked alongside Tom for about three years. So I embedded in special operation mission training for three years. So really I worked alongside Tom before we were together um, and I got to see underneath the curtain. So I think as a spouse, I had a little bit of a different, it's almost not, not the same, but when we have two veteran couples, you know, when we have, um, or two active duty members where both members are serving or two law enforcement officers that are serving together, Tom and I worked together. Um, and so I got to see a lot of the heartache, a lot of the training, um, a lot of things that civilians will never get to see. I feel um, totally privileged and honored that I got to do the work I did, but it did give me a different insight as a spouse
1: for sure. Absolutely. I can imagine so. Because I mean, it, the soft guys are just so different, what they're exposed to and uh, having a little bit of inside knowledge helps a lot. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, very good. So I guess we'll switch gears now and, and head over to you're wrapping up your career in soft. When did you decide this was it? Did you want to go straight into civilian life? Did you want to do become one of these operatives for the CIA kind of stuff? What happens as, you, as you're wrapping up?
2: I don't know. I didn't make a plan again. I continued <laughs> joining the military as I got out. You know, uh, at 19 years, they asked, Do you want to re enlist and get a bonus? I was like, Hmm. You know, it was a big bonus. It was a lot of money to stay in. And I thought, Well, I'm a leader. and I don't deploy that much. And I re enlisted in Iraq. Um, I got my bonus. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I went straight back. I don't know how many times after that, uh, not until the last two years of my career did I slow down. I mean, other than in between the seven surgeries I had to get along the way, like, hey, don't ever go back to Iraq. Don't ever put a helmet on your head. I'm like, okay, three months later, I'm like running around, Fallujah with a helmet on my head, chasing a, a semi or something, trying to stop it. I'm like, and then my neck starts hurting. I'm like, oh, I should have listened to the doc, you know? And so, s- five surgeries later at the time, I might spend my last two years um, working with special forces. Um, teaching them CQB over in their, one of their schools um, up the street. So I'm still in the unit, but I'm working with these guys to help them with their program. And I needed that and it was relaxing. And that's what got me out of it enough because I kept trying to get back in, but I'm injured and things are happening. And I'm training, which I love training as well. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this break has been nice. You know, I'm like, wow, I, I got thrown off that fast moving train. And after the tumbling stopped, and I got up and I'm like, oh, OK, I can dig this. But I still didn't make a plan. And that 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 moved right into my retirement date. And when, the day I retired, I was like, I don't have a job. I don't have, I don't have a hobby. Um, I, I don't have a wife that I can well, that was working out. Um, and so I, a friend of mine said, hey, uh, there's a job in Amman, Jordan. And ten days later, I was in Amman, Jordan, living living there for four months at a time. And, and when that when that happened, General Harold, retired General Harold Harold's um, said, "Hey, we want to start another program over here. We want to train the Jordanian military to be special forces qualified. Can you do it in four months?" I went, "Yeah, I yeah, sure. They'll be <laughs> special forces qualified in four months." So I started up a new program in Jordan. Hired nine other SF guys to come in because I, I kept saying, "I'm not the man. I was Delta." You want to teach SF stuff. I, that's a whole different world of, of nation building and whatnot. No, no, we want you. Oh, okay, so I hired nine other people, stand up this program, get all the gear and run it for a couple of years. And then, you know, some things went down with, you know, Jordan and money and whatnot. And I ended up back in America with no job again two years later, like, wow, um, well, how was that last two years, honey? And she, she's like, I saw you less than I saw you, the, you know, before in the military. I go, yeah, but we're making more money now. Right. Making money. Right. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Divorce. She took all the money. She took all the bonus. She took the house that everything bought with it. And there I am again thinking, I hate everybody. And I'm back into my, you know what? live in my apartment and blah, 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 blah. By the way, I think I'll shoot myself. Yeah. Enter uh, the savior who, who gave my whole different perspective on the world, you know, actually cared enough to listen and, uh, pull you out of that, but not having a plan is is one of the things we talk about because without a direction to go, you know, it's, you're going to falter and stumble and not know what to do.
1: Absolutely. People don't realize how important it is to have a plan in life. Just just a little one, just a small plan. Yeah. Cause
2: it's going to go to shit anyway. Right. But at least you know how to start. I mean, yeah. I, you never would plan like primary alternate contingency, emergency plans pace, I'd have four different plans in the military. Here's our primary plan. Here's our alternate. Here's our contingency. And when all those go to crap, here's our emergency plan. But when all those fail, which they always do, we'll go back to our SOPs and follow those. You know. <laughs> but when we go home and we're trying to better our relationship or work out problems and all we do is fight, 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 because we don't know what to do other than scream and yell and fight. It's because we didn't make a plan. We didn't do all those things that we do in the military. And we tell guys, guys, A relationship's a job. It's a job like no other, right? You got to work at it like you work at the job that you work at. And then it will work out. Children too.
1: Children's another tough job.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Same thing. How do I connect with my child? I go, I couldn't either. But get on the floor and play with them. Well, I can't play with them. Then just get on the floor and be the mountain. Let them climb over you. You're there. You're there. My son told her one time, I wish my dad would have worked at Home Depot, at least I'd have seen him. You know, he didn't know what I did anyway. I didn't really tell him much, and he didn't,
0: he didn't listen. Care. He didn't listen
2: if that I did. He, he didn't care. I mean, I want to impress my son with where I work. He did not care. He wants me home. Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: And I was never home, so he didn't get what he wanted, and now we don't have a relationship. And that that's the consequences of choices.
1: That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. It's interesting when you mentioned planning, because it reminded me of Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Viktor Frankl was in the Holocaust. He was in the, the Nazi jail or the, the camp. And um, he's the only one that survived in his, in his little camp. Everybody else died. And when they asked him, well, how did you survive? Well, he said, every day I thought about what I was going to do when I got out. Wow. That's powerful. That planning That's every day. He said, I just kept things. where was I going to go? What was I going to do? And I just never gave up hope in the future. Now, whether or not that was really it, who knows? But that's that's exactly what you guys are talking about.
2: You said it right there. Hope. Mm
1: -hmm. When you lose hope.
2: That's it. Uh, A person we know. um, Her son was at the VA hospital. You heard about people shooting themselves in the parking lot. Her son was one of them. Yeah, a friend of ours went into the doctor, here, pain here, pain there, and they said, look, there's just nothing more we can do for you. What? He went okay. Went out in the car and called his mom he killed himself. Hope, gone.
1: Yeah. It wasn't your son, the way, right, Jen? No, no, sorry, okay. no.
3: It was actually a friend of ours, um, son, and uh, she actually is the one who... Um, we have ball caps that we sell at allsecurefoundation.org. She actually hand makes all of those hats in memory of her son to help raise money um, for suicide awareness and the work that we're doing. So it's a horrible story, but you know, it, it comes down to, I, I did a Senate committee hearing uh, with the VA and, and veteran suicide was the topic. And they asked, um, in my opinion, what was the reason why veterans committed suicide? And I said, There's a million and one reasons because every human being on this planet is unique and their situation's unique. We can't make this a blanket problem or a blanket one problem, you know, one size fits all solution. However, I will tell you one thing that's universal is hope. And when you dash hope from someone, when you tell them that's it, and these are warriors, these are war fighters, and they're used to taking out problems. If there's a problem, you solve it or you fix it or you end it. And when they look at themselves as the problem, and then there's no hope for them not to be the problem, usually the alcohol is involved about 89% of the time, but that's when we're seeing the trigger being pulled is the loss of hope.
1: Yeah, I think it's really, it's interesting too, because it doesn't really matter the age, does it? No. No. You know what?
3: It 15 or 50. It
2: doesn't matter. I've yeah. spoken to a gentleman who fought in the Battle of the Bulge who yeah. never got help after a speaking engagement, his, his grandkids come over, come over and talk to my grandpa, come over. He starts telling me stuff. And they're like, we never heard this. We never knew I've been suffering. He went, yeah. he promised to go get help the next day. I just get chills when I talk about that story because
3: 99 this, years old,
2: same, same, um, the same day, five minutes later, actually in the same event, a gentleman comes over from Vietnam and starts talking, same thing. I'm going to go get help. And I tell you about the long, the, the length of time for you to feel better start feeling better is the length of time it takes you to ask for help and we know on average operators take 13 13 years years to ask for help
3: 13 13 insane i don't
2: know that law
3: enforcement's any better no 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 (laughs) you
2: know we talk to law enforcement a lot a lot and they always pick up the call hey tom i'm sorry to bother you My problem's not like yours. My time's not like yours. I didn't do anything like you. And I go, shut up, man. You live in your combat zone with your family. You take your family into the combat streets that you operate on daily. The enemy that you go after is me and her and you and us. So, what we all do is we have to demoralize and denigrate the enemy in order to do our jobs. Or you see so much of the horror that you associate that with everyone that looks that way. Right. That's just human nature. It's not racism or anything else. It's human nature. So policemen, they start hating just people because they don't know who they're going to deal with and they're going to be idiots. They see the most horrible things. And then they call me like, well, mine's not like yours. Okay, man. You're right. (laughs) You're right. It's not like mine. Nobody's just like mine. Mine's mine. Yours is yours, but it's the same. You feel like shit. You feel like shit. You're running your life over it. Yeah. Let's get some help. You know, let's get to the right stuff. You know, comparison is a thief of healing and happiness. And, and when they compare their stories to their combat or I didn't do what you did, nobody knows what I did, man. Nobody knows what I did. And who cares? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Here's how I feel. Here's how we'll get better. That's the important thing. I don't want to live people living in the rearview mirror for, for glory or for the pain.
1: Look forward. Awesome. You said that perfectly. Um,
2: I know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I spent At least it, broke it on my ice boa. a little bit. Thinking, I hope that made
2: sense. He's modest, He's
3: modest and humble. <laughs> no, I, I
2: hope that made sense. I don't even know what I said. Yeah, he's perfect. I'm like, oh, I
1: know. <laughs> well, it reminds me of a, of a gentleman I had last week, uh, Andrew Cousins. He he worked for Tier One operators. I don't know if you know. I don't think you know Andrew. He kind of had a special kind of arrangement. <laughs> I don't even know how he got it. He doesn't know how he got it, but he just got involved with Tier One guys and some of the stuff he saw. But he was sharing the story because I, the reason I'll, I'll bring up why I'm bringing this story, up. <laughs> but eventually when he came home, um, his wife committed suicide. And mm. so he had the challenges of operations and then coming back home to that horrible event. And of course now he has little children and, and things of that nature that really threw him for a loop. Oh, man. And, um, we were talking about an idea that I wondered, having a program or at least a workshop you know how they have ones for marriage right before you get married you should see and do this workshop and see if you guys fit i wonder if they should even have one for soft individuals or where the wives if they're married or they're dating whatever may be can say you know what these are some of the things (laughs) that could happen to prepare them to understand so at least they're not left in the dark because every soft story that i've heard so far a lot of times They really had no clue what the heck the the husband was doing when he was coming home, where they were, nothing like that. And then they don't have no idea what to prepare for when they come back. Because as you mentioned before, you're gone for months at a time. And that's the real, that's the marriage that you're used to. And then all of a sudden they have this person back in the house and well, this isn't the same marriage as we just had for the last five months. Now I have somebody here. And that's um, the trouble with a lot of
2: them. Um, It's not knowing how to live together.
1: And it's frankly, the work that we do
3: at All Secure is exactly, is Yeah. we go around and we go to different bases, post, um, and, and we talk. We talk to young Green Berets before they even go overseas. So brand new out of school, we'll have 600 guys in a room and we'll say, listen, this may or may not come down the road for you. If it does, it might look like this and this is what you can do about it. And it's biological. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment attached to it this is how you deal with it. And then we do the same with thing with the spouses, get them in the room. Hey, when he comes back, this is how he might, may have changed. These are some things that you should be looking for in him and yourself, because frankly, what people really don't talk about is that spouses and children have at least double the suicide rate than civilian spouses do. So it's not just veteran suicide that we're fighting. We're fighting that of uh, the spouses who are committing suicide, their children who are committing suicide at a much higher rate. So we know that, you know, either whether you're fighting a war at home on the battlefield in our own streets or overseas, that that's going to seep into your home life. It will seep into your family, whether you want it to or not.
2: And the DOD will fully admit we're different than the Veterans Affairs, right? Our job is to get warriors trained up, to do their job. Our job is not to decommission you, right? It's like, working in an organization for 30 years and then you leave You're, you worked your way up pretty high when you leave they don't send you to a school or anything it, They they'll tell you our job is not to take care of your family and to take care of you because of what happens because of what our job is to do is to train you up for war. now the va that's them that's their job right but they're they're fully triple booked and overloaded and they can't handle it and by the way you get what you pay for it's right. free so
3: a mess you have
2: to take your own care in your own hands we have to, we tell people i don't know what to do tell me what to do and it used to be would do it do it do it now jen's like google it if you don't take stock in what you're doing you don't put any skin in the game you don't care anyway you're just handed more stuff you won't do anything with if you really want help you'll start googling it you can google stuff you can we'll help people all day long but all we yeah, can absolutely. do is give you tools show you the way be the lighthouse we can't do the work for anyone she couldn't save me I couldn't save her we had to do the work ourselves and save each other you know each other and help ourselves out like everyone else has to do you have to do the work but we're here to give people the tools on how not to have secondary PTS for your children or your spouse or or, or how not how, how not to have post-traumatic stress kill you and ruin your family for life because here are some tools to work on to break the muscle memory of your behavior for the last 20 30 years it's muscle memory your behavior. Or five becomes, years. Or five years. You get in and out. After a year in the military, you've done it 10,000 times, whatever it is. You're miserable. (laughs) So when you go home, you're going to do that, right? You're going to behave that way. Just like coming out of basic and coming home and kids, look, I I know how to make a bed. You didn't make a bed for 15 years. And now you're coming home bragging about how you can make a bed tight. Just learning new things from people, right? So that's, that's all it is. You can learn a different way. You can learn how not to be a grumpy person. You can learn how to communicate better.
1: Interesting. Let me ask you this: Get your take on this. Um, I know with police officers, one of the biggest challenges for them to go see therapy is the therapist not understanding their world. And um, you know, I've heard horror stories like where the psychologist will say, "Why don't you just shoot them in the hand?" <laughs> Stupid things like oh. that. That's Ooh. not therapy.
2: That's tactics. Yes. That's
1: bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what you can't shoot the gun out of the hand, right tom, tom come on
2: i saw
3: that in a movie once. let's
2: do therapy now and not tactic <laughs> talking you know that's what i would tell him. let's not talk tactics and stupidity let's talk therapy
1: well he actually just laughed and yeah and the sad thing was he overgeneralized every other psychologist which is what i was telling you you can't do that um you have to be really but that's the issue a lot i think is the challenge and i guess my, my question to you is That kind of has to be a challenge for a soft operator as well, because most therapists don't know your world. Now, we can still do other things to help and understand trauma. We understand trauma and how you can relive these things and how to try to break that up with EMDR and other techniques that are out there. Um, But do you find that to be a challenge for a lot of soft operators? Like, I don't want to go to the shrink.
3: (laughs) We hear it all. And and frankly, there have been horror stories and ones that I've heard of that I couldn't believe what a trained professional would say to someone like I've been shocked too. And, and there are bad therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists out there. There are bad cops. There are bad army guys out there. There's bad in every single pool that exists. I was in advertising. I met some bad people there too. So, you know, you're right. Don't generalize because there's a lot of good too. And a lot of people who really get it. And you know, Tom will even say when guys are like, "I've gone to so much therapy, I could be a therapist." Or I'm a doctor you myself. You know, now. she. I won't go see. Part of what we do, a big part of what we do, is therapy through our organization, and and frankly, our therapist. We were first combat couple, for sure. Probably first soft combat couple that she worked with over three years ago. And now 90% of her practice is us, um, you oh, know, good, and. Good.
2: People like us, not all. She doesn't talk to us all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We're, We're in therapy 20, 20, in 20 therapy, hours a day. 20
3: hours a <laughs> um, But yeah, we keep her very busy through All Secure Foundation. So she's working with soft families, um, military families. And, and the amazing it. thing is, and they all love her. They all love her. That We call her, we joke and call her the magical unicorn of healing because we will have the toughest pipe hitters I don't need therapy, and you know Tom will talk blah, to him. Talk blah girl.
2: blah they, heard get, it,
3: they call her. You know they'll call Tom after an appointment. I had my session with Stacy today, and they're like, "He's like, hey, how did it go? I was crying forty of the forty-five minutes, but you know, I don't know what she did to me, but I'm I'm gonna go back and see her again on Thursday.
2: You know, like that's a big she, first step. Oh, <laughs> I tell love her. I tell people stop trying to do your therapist job stop giving me excuses.
3: And if you find a bad Therapy one, doesn't
2: work. Yes. No, all therapists suck. I saw two and they suck. I saw five and they suck out of five out of a, a million therapists in America. <laughs> I'm throwing a number out there. It's probably a lot more than a million. You judged them all by the five.
3: Yeah. Maybe it's going. you.
2: Maybe you're resistant to what all five of them are trying to do though. So Therapists don't need to have been in combat or understand they what we do. They need to. They definitely don't need to tell us how to do it better. Nah. They need to understand how it makes us feel and give us those tools on how to get past that and work through that. Can't change any of this. Can't change the tactics. And no, I don't need your help on shooting them in the knee or wounding them. Or I've had congressmen ask, you know, well, that's can we divine safer bullets for you know, can. Uh, Really, man, safer bullets. If I've decided to launch that round your way, it's because I want you to stop existing on this planet immediately. I don't want to wound you because why am I wounding you? If you're a threat to me, you're dead. And if you're not, you won't get shot at all. That's that's the that's the law for me. That's the rule. Lost my whole point with yeah, that. Yeah, I was going right yeah, to say right <laughs> that was
3: just an epic long.
2: you <laughs> love love there. <laughs> <and a step. laughs> less excuses from guys who need the help because they're afraid to get the help. They're afraid to put in the work because it's hard. It's hard to admit you've done bad things because you were living the warrior lifestyle or you were behaving that way because of the post-traumatic stress and what it does to your brain and how you behave and the decisions you make, you know, on your off time. And people struggle with that. They won't forgive themselves. And then they're afraid to go to therapy. They're afraid to go to counseling. They're afraid to go get. Well, and it is work
3: and it's hard and it's not pleasant. It, no. but it's necessary. It's like, we don't call it post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not a disorder. It's, um, it's an injury. So we call it PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, an injury you can heal from an injury. There's not shame or embarrassment usually attached to it depends maybe how you got that injury. If You're jumping off the roof or doing something stupid. I don't know, maybe, but you know, we don't usually attach shame and embarrassment to an injury. We should not to trauma that was sustained in the line of duty as well. So if we know it's an injury, we know there's a biological response to it. We should come back and do the same type of procedures um, in order to get us back into our best fighting shape and back in the game. Because frankly, with PTS, the longer you wait, the worse it gets with time, not better. And people keep waiting for it to go away. And the message we're trying to get out to people is it won't go away. It'll get worse. So deal with it. And if that means therapy, if that means cognitive behavioral therapy, even better, Start working on the behavioral change that you need to make, not just talking about it. Talk therapy typically doesn't work. Um, So there are so many ways you can attack this. There's so many ways to go about it. And I think that's the hopeful message is there is a way to the other side of it.
2: You'll get the hardcore, the older guys. What about the ones faking it? You can't really prove it. Okay, well, do you want to work with a guy that's faking something anyway? Right. If he's faking it for whatever, why is he faking it then just to get out of work? then you don't want to work with anyway. Let him go get the help anyway, right? And if it is real, why can't trust him? Oh, so he shouldn't go get the help because you'll trust him if he doesn't get the help. But the problem's still there, right? If he gets the help, the problem can go away. And then
3: he'll come back sharper. He'll come back more focused. He'll come back maybe without a substance abuse issue or, you know, something on the side that's going to get him in trouble at
2: home. If you damage your equipment, you fix it. If you ding your front sights, you want to put them back in there, right? You know if your mental health has been tricked up because i don't know you see babies and people beating each other and and druggies neglecting their children and murderers and uh, it no, yeah, that doesn't affect, affect you <laughs> i don't want to be with a person that that doesn't affect
1: yeah, That's yeah that would a, make them a, a sociopath.
2: narcissist and a sociopath which yeah. it's a whole nother story
1: oh, absolutely absolutely uh, great stuff i mean i have nothing much for me to say <laughs> 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 you folks hit everything right on the head Talk I mean, a took- lot. It took my job right out, you know? It's funny, because I lecture on trauma a lot of times and <laughs> you guys did a perfect job, perfect job. And it's interesting because you're right, people get afraid to go down to hell, as I used to put it and yeah. say, the journey to wholeness is going through hell first. And then I always use the analogy of Dante. I don't know if you ever read Dante's mm-hmm. Divine Comedy when he goes through hell and then he goes to purgatory in heaven. And whether you've been abused as a child, sex abuse, child abuse, um, I had an individual here a couple weeks ago where he posted something on Instagram. Here's a guy who's a tough guy and he does a training program with Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEALs and ex-weather, uh, I don't know your, what other acronyms out there, and other <laughs> groups. But and what they do is they do it for men to toughen them up and they put them through a three-day program. But it's not just about the physical component. It was also about the mental component, which was really surprising to me. Good. Yeah, it was really interesting. That. And he posted, I was stunned when I am hearing him because he's talking about how he was abused as a child. Mm. And here's a guy who's 35, tough guy, and he's just sharing it on Instagram. And I'm thinking, well, that took a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: lot.
3: leadership. It it's is leadership. leadership. Yeah. Get on that
2: dance floor first. You know, most of what we find is childhood trauma. It's not yes. the war. It's not this or that. Even with cops, first. I mean, we all
3: everybody something <laughs> happened
2: to us growing up maybe that led us into service to help others. Yes. Whether it was abusive, whether it was a poor life, whether it's something affected most of us that come up this way. And then when we see horrible things, this untreated stuff pops up, you know, and it's like, oh, uh, Guys aren't their heads in their hands crying about Johnny lost at war or something, this and that. It's typically a family issue or childhood issue that they've never resolved.
1: Absolutely true. Again, folks, we're with Tom and Jen Satterly, S-A-T-T-E-R-L-Y. The book is called All Secure, Special Operations Soldiers Fight to Survive on the Battlefield and the Homefront, and their foundation is allsecurefoundation.org. Look, if you know somebody in the military, if you know somebody in the soft. Our family, definitely recommend that organization if you think they need help. Look out for science, folks. I guess in our last few minutes together, um, I always like to get to Hollywood. <laughs> so I'm going back to Hollywood now. And yours is a special situation because I know they made that movie. And I won't put you on the spot to ask you about the movie. If you want to comment, you're more than welcome to. But I'll take it back. Uh, any movies independent of Black Hawk Down um, that you thought were right on or you thought, there's plenty. I know they were right off. <laughs> if you want to mention any of those, that's fine too. Or any, even TV shows. We haven't done a TV show for a while. I think it was mash was one we talked about once with the song. We were guys. just talking I about that. Mash. We were just talking
3: about that on oh, our yeah? the other day it was mash and Hogan's heroes.
1: Oh, up yeah. us.
2: Loved Hogan's <laughs> heroes. Um,
3: and, and for me, private Benjamin, I thought Goldie Han was so cool. <laughs> private yeah. Benjamin's right. Yeah. We don't
2: watch much TV anymore. Um, man i i grew up watching like little house on the prairie and
3: uh oh yeah that laverne little, and shirley and
2: all uh and gilligan's island yes. stuff like that man i you know i didn't oh, okay. watch any violent stuff i just didn't i didn't really have the need you know even in germany my first year in germany i was so poor but i lived on the economy and i had german tv and i would watch little house on the prairie in german and i <laughs> i'd watched this so much that i knew what they were what was happening i couldn't understand them that's so you beautiful. know the herd locker yeah. we talked about was yep. pretty good with with zero dark thirty. Zero dark thirty um, was good. You know the green zone I enjoyed a bit. Huh?
3: Jason Bourne, he's pointed out some similarities uh, that were true. What? Yeah. Between uh,
1: himself and Jason Bourne? Or-
3: oh well, <laughs> yeah, yes, he's he's my Jason Bourne, but in the movies he's like, oh yeah, that really happened, or we did that, or this. There were some moments that I was surprised, like oh. That is kind of awesome. If and you cool want a good, you want
2: a good shooting scene um, with reloads and whatnot and actual training. I think Heat was the good. One. Oh, Heat! Heat. Uh, yeah. Trying yeah. to kill yeah. the bank robbery man. Uh, oh, it's so good. I like. I gotta have. I gotta get in one of those. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta be in that position. You know, but then people died. So now I changed my mind. But those were good.
1: Yeah. Seems war movies word.
2: are tough good. because you look at war through these toilet paper tubes, and that's all you see. So I watched Black Hawk Down. I'm like, did that happen? Oh my God, is that is that just thrown in there for fun, or did that really happen? You don't see anything but your stuff. So when you're watching from an overhead view of combat, you're like, whoa! Even Black Hawk Down, we watched a premiere together with the guys who were there. The, oh, wow.
3: the, the red carpet they did at Fayetteville, which I'm like, <laughs> you know, those actors love going into. Yeah, Fayetteville. it was
2: great being in Fayetteville, um, <laughs> watching an old movie theater. But you know, oh, watching that movie, it, watching it with my friends, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, who did that? Who did that? We didn't really think about the movie i haven't been able to watch it since um
3: we've tried
2: not because i'm saying it's a great movie it's a good movie um it's too real right it's too real it's too connected for me i can't i I had to walk out of saving private ryan the for opening scene um Opening uh, scene. I forgot to bring that the opening scene of taking the beach of the bullets coming by and I'm sitting there like what? guy laying there. I can hear him going, what the hell? You know, like what the hell's going on? I got to get up and walk now and do this. That, that brings you to that. You still have to do your job, man. Yeah. You might get shot, but you still got to get up and do your job. You know, we didn't pay you to hit the beach and lay down until the bullets stop. Sorry. And that brings the fear of, you still have to do your job. No matter
1: what. That's a good point. It's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? Do you make it too realistic where or... it can't compromise yeah. individuals or not? No. Yeah. And some of
2: that can be too realistic. Like, what movie were we watching? Actually, it's actually a series. It was Westworld. No. Westworld, where they have robots that are like people. And oh, yeah. One of the, th- I forgot, it kind of went away and we could watch it, it got violent, but it was one of those. It was good when it came out and it was, the thing of it was they, they talked about making the, the robots are so real, making them a bit, quirky because they're so real and on the show you'd go kill these robots and stuff and you're killing humans because they look just like humans but they made their robots a bit different so you would know right you would know the difference i'm like man that's not even (laughs) yeah that's that that brought a lot to my mind about wow the reality of things that when it's so real like a a, a combat movie or a video game can get so i was gonna say
3: we have close we just got the vr set my son has the VR Uh set and the first day he got it, he has a game that was, I don't know if it was based on black Hawk down or based on like special operations, whatever it was, Tom puts it on and he's like, Whoa! Like you know, immediately back in it. He's ducking. I think you probably strained your back from yeah, I falling heard my over. my back, ducking, and fell the, off
2: the deck. And fell off
3: the deck, and I was like, maybe Tom doesn't need to play. Getting this shot game. at. I couldn't reload
2: my weapon. I, was, I got funny video of her, her doing the same it. thing. But you I know. get you
1: a million views on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> a good point. Don't <laughs> falls. I fall. Yeah. it's interesting because I just talked to Lieutenant Colonel Phelps if I remember correctly, my, my offense if I don't, um, we were talking about drones and how the t- as the technology got sharper and sharper, there was an increase in PTSD because originally it was just everything was blurry. So you, when you hit the target, you really couldn't tell. But oh, as yeah. they could see people moving and they can see the, the movement of the bodies and the, playing with the children, they said that was really starting to hit the operators who were working on the drones. It's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, really brought it home. Incredible
2: stuff. Yeah. And I, I caution people, like, well, you weren't on combat. You were just on TV watching a drone. I'm like, no, nah, man. Oh, yeah. People get post-traumatic stress from watching everything. movies. You and know? Everything. So it's yeah. real. It's real enough.
1: Well, I guess, I guess my last question is, what are you guys doing now? <laughs> what are these, What's your goals now? Obviously, to grow at allsecurefoundation.org. Um, do you have any other plan, move, movements in the future?
2: Well, she finished this and stuck it out. Arsenal of hope
1: oh great arsenal i don't even know i said uh
2: yeah tactics for taking on ptsd together um she she i don't know co-wrote what yeah co-wrote with holly lawrence um
3: sure did she's amazing that's
2: that's more of a book that it's funny you know some of my friends were calling her up hey i saw i saw some when her book came out recently somebody's like i saw somebody reading your book in the airport you know somewhere in the united states oh my god it's so awesome he goes yeah she was balling
3: i was gonna take (laughs) a picture and send it to you but she was crying i'm like i have the cry book i see um, people
2: bawling yeah. and reading her book and the guys guys will send messages on social media you know i'm reading jen's book and a, and a special operator will, will pipe in yeah i'm reading jen's book too and it's really hard to read all the shameful things i've done <laughs> right because it's about me really but it's about everyone doing these same shameful things and well, most and people are saying the, the same side. thing like wow this book is better than tom's book on what i really need <laughs> tom's has the stories and you know <laughs> talks about it jen's is like a a military how-to self-help manual on no shit here's what's up here's what we did and here's other things that work so yeah, yeah that that's And now right. we're both actually kind of working on another book
3: yeah working on um, another one about- together
2: and working on another book with a uh, world war one uh, medal of honor winner who suffered post-traumatic stress and nobody really knew what and then he ended up dying and lost his privileges and just buried quietly though he's a medal of honor winner and had uh, medals from other nations as well and then we oh. talked to people tell me all the time, post stress didn't matter. But having the greatest generation. They didn't have post stress. I'm like, dude, yeah, they didn't know what to call it, man. Come on, <laughs> man. It, it, we Shell didn't shock. invent this stuff. Right. But yeah, we're doing retreats. Um,
3: we do retreat workshops. We do seminars. We speak around the country. Um, we do a lot with law enforcement as well. We have a big um, event coming up with St. Louis Police Department. So really, we're kind of everywhere doing whatever we can to help really normalize something that has been deemed a shameful experience when really like i said it's a biological effect there's no shame to it it's an injury you can recover from that's a message we'll share with any and everyone cuz it's a killer when people don't understand that and and you know people talk about oh your organization is for veteran suicide really it's it's not it's about how to live a better life
2: yeah honestly it's relationship help and how to live better because if you're living better, everything gets better with that, right? Yeah. I mean, everything just from that gets better. Oh, we're so working on so. brick and mortar at Fort Bragg. You know, the generals asked us to bring it. You know, they said, we can't pay for it. You can't bring it here. <laughs> we're all screwed up. But man, if it just existed, they'd go. And we're like, all right, we're going to make it exist. Yeah. So, oh, about awesome. to start fundraising for a big project um, to open up just outside of Fort Bragg, that was our first one yeah great so people can get counseling on all their off hours and remove mm-hmm. all those excuses if i'm busy and this and the weekends and lunch and breakfast we will bring it to we're you we're open man come on
1: <laughs> <laughs> folks the book is called arsenal of hope by jen satterly tactics for taking on ptsd together sounds like a fabulous book i regret i haven't been able to read it yet i just found out about it. um <laughs> i'll a little send bit. you one <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Uh, the book is called Provides Definitions and Real-Life Examples of Complex PTSD and Complex Secondary. PTSD is seen in rapidly rising number of spouses and children and the problems that arise when untreated. Arsenal of Hope aims to help soldiers, first responders, their families, and civilians with trauma, including those dealing with what we're going through now, COVID-19, chaos, or death. Yay. Mask up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's been amazing? I, I, I could keep you guys here all day. It's a great conversation. I thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to be able to share your story. Thank you so much uh, for having yeah. us
3: on and the ability to share it.
2: It's been our pleasure. Anytime we can reach more people that yeah. might need it, man, we're happy. And we we're
3: just... here. So reach out if anyone's listening to this and kind oh, of no. toggling back and <laughs> forth. That they should. The answer is you should. So
2: the phone feels like it's ten thousand pounds, but it's not. It just picks right up. It just text us. We're there, man. We're there for you.
1: Yep. Wonderful stuff. Tom Satterly, Jen Satterly, check it out. AllsecureFoundation.org. Make sure to share, like. You know we like it. We'll talk to you next time.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?